Chapter two hundred and thirty two of Varney the Vampire, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Varney the Vampire, Volume three, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter two hundred and thirty two. Varney's narrative continued. Mr. Bevan paused, when he had got thus far, to ask himself if he ought to give credence to what he read, or put it down as the raving of some person whose wits had become tangled and deranged by misfortune. Had the manuscript come to him without other circumstances to give it the air of truthfulness, he would have read it only as a literary curiosity. But it will be remembered that he had been a spectator of the resuscitation of Clara Crofton, which afforded of itself a very frightful verification of Varney's story. A story so horrible in all its details, that but for the great interest which it really possessed, he would have deeply regretted the mixing it up in his memory with brighter subjects. There was something yet to read in the papers before him, and thinking that it was better to know all at once than to leave his imagination to work upon matters so likely seriously to affect it, he resumed his perusal of these papers, which might be considered the autobiography of Varney Blank. I have already said that I was not yet fully alive to the horror of what I was but I soon found what the words which had been spoken to me by the mysterious being who had exhumed me meant. I was a thing accursed, a something to be shunned by all men, a horror, a blight, and a desolation. I felt myself growing sick and weak as I traversed the streets of the city, and yet I loathed the sight of food whenever I saw it. I reached my own house, and saw that it had been burned down. There lay nothing but a heap of charred ruins where it once stood. But I had an interest in those ruins, for from time to time I had buried considerable sums of money beneath the flooring of the lowest apartments, and I had every reason to believe, as such a secret treasure was only known to myself, that it remained untouched. I waited until the moon became obscured by some passing clouds, and then, having a most intimate knowledge of the locality, I commenced groping about the ruins and removing a portion of them until I made my way to the spot where my money was hidden. The morning came, however, and surprised me at my occupation, so I hid myself among the ruins of what had once been my home for a whole day, and never once stirred from my concealment. Oh, it was a long and weary day. I could hear the prattle of children at play. An inn or change-house was near at hand, and I could hear noisy drinkers brawling forth songs that had been proscribed in the Commonwealth. I saw a poor wretch hunted nearly to death close to where I lay concealed, because from the fashion of his garments and the cut of his hair he was supposed to belong to the deposed party. But the long-expected night came at last, 
It was a dark one, too, so that it answered my purpose well. I had found an old rusty knife among the ruins, and with that I set to work to dig up my hidden treasure. I was successful and found it all. Not a guinea had been removed, although in the immediate neighborhood there were those who would have sacrificed a human life for any piece of gold that I had hoarded. I made no inquiries about any one that had belonged to me. I dreaded to receive some horrible and circumstantial answer. But I did get a slight piece of news as I left the ruins, although I asked not for it. There's a poor devil, said one. Did you ever see such a wretch in all your life? Why, yes, said another, and he's enough to turn one's canary sour. He seems to have come up from the ruins of Mortimer's house. By the by, did you ever hear what became of him? Yes, to be sure. He was shot by two of Cromwell's dragoons in some fracas or another. Ah, I recollect now. I heard as much. He murdered his son, didn't he? I passed on. Those words seemed to send a bolt of fire through the brain, and I dreaded that the speaker might expatiate upon them. A slow, misty rain was falling, which caused the streets to be very much deserted. But being extremely well acquainted with the city, I passed on till I came to that quarter which was principally inhabited by Jews, who I knew would take my money without any troublesome questions being asked me, and also I could procure every accommodation required. And they did so, for before another hour had passed over my head, I emerged richly habited as a chevalier of the period, having really not paid to the conscientious Israelite much more than four times the price of the clothing I walked away with. And thus I was in the middle of London, with some hundreds of pounds in my pocket, and a horrible uncertainty as to what I was. I was growing fainter and fainter still, and I feared that unless I succeeded in housing myself shortly, I should become a prey to someone who, seeing my exhausted condition, would, notwithstanding I had a formidable rapier by my side, rob me of all I possessed. My career has been much too long and too checkered a one even to give the briefest sketch of. All I propose here to relate is how I became convinced I was a vampire, and that blood was my congenial nourishment and the only element of my new existence. I passed on until I came to a street where I knew the houses were large but unfashionable, and that they were principally occupied by persons who made a trade by letting out apartments, and there I thought I might locate myself in safety. As I made no difficulty about terms, there was no difficulty at all of any sort, and I found myself conducted into a tolerably handsome suite of rooms in the house of a decent-looking widow woman, who had two daughters, young and blooming girls, both of whom regarded me as the new lodger, with looks of anything but favor, considering my awful and cadaverous appearance, most probably as promising nothing at all in the shape of pleasant companionship. This I was quite prepared for. I had seen myself in a mirror. That was enough. And I could honestly have averred that a more ghastly and horrible-looking skeleton, attired in silks and broadcloth, never yet walked the streets of the city. When I retired to my chamber, 
I was so faint and ill that I could scarcely drag one foot after the other, and was ruminating what I should do, until a strange feeling crept over me that I should like—what? Blood. Raw blood, reeking and hot, bubbling and juicy from the veins of some gasping victim. A clock upon the stairs struck one. I arose and listened attentively. All was still in the house. Still as the very grave. It was a large, old, rambling building, and had belonged at one time, no doubt, to a man of some mark and likelihood in the world. My chamber was one of six that opened from a corridor of a considerable length, and which traversed the whole length of the house. I crept out into this corridor, and listened again for full ten minutes, but not the slightest sound save my own faint breathing disturbed the stillness of the house, and that emboldened me, so that, with my appetite for blood growing each moment stronger, I began to ask myself, from whose veins I could seek strength and nourishment. But how was I to proceed? How was I to know in that large house which of the sleepers I could attack with safety? For it had now come to that, that I was to attack somebody. I stood like an evil spirit, pondering over the best means of securing a victim. And there came over me the horrible faintness again, that faintness which each moment grew worse and which threatened completely to engulf me. I feared that some flush of it would overtake me, and then I should fall, to rise no more. As strange as it may appear, I felt a disposition to cling to the new life that had been given to me. I seemed to be acquainted already with all its horrors, but not all its joys. Suddenly, the darkness of the corridor was cleared away, and soft and mellow light crept into it, and I said to myself, The moon is risen. Yes, the bright and beautiful moon, which I had felt the soft influence of when I lay among the graves, had emerged from the bank of clouds along the eastern sky, its beams descending through a little window. They streamed right through the corridor, faintly, but effectually illuminating it, and letting me see clearly all the different doors leading to the different chambers. And thus it was that I had light for anything I wished to do, but not information. The moonbeams playing upon my face seemed to give me a spurious sort of strength. I did not know until after experience what a marked and sensible effect they would always have upon me but I felt it even then, although I did not attribute it wholly to the influence of the queenly planet. I walked on through the corridor, and some sudden influence seemed to guide me to a particular door. I know not how it was, but I laid my hand upon the lock and said to myself, I shall find my victim here. End of chapter 232